Hi, Bitan, how are you? Hello, um, can you hear me? Oh. Uh, yes. Oh, oh yeah, wait, <laughs> my first time using this. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, can you please say your name for me so that I pronounce it right? Um, well, there's a oh, uh, Bitao. Bita. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just Bitao is good. <laughs> Thank you. Bita. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I'm yeah. posting the link to the presentation now, so you can see. Um. So above our um. Profile pictures, there's a link. So mm -hmm. if you click it, then you should be it should be pop up go to link and then you should see the slides can you access them Did, do I have the right access let me check again oh yes I do oh good perfect yeah. perfect yeah um, we will be starting in around seven minutes so you still have a little bit yeah sure nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure everything works a few minutes ahead. So how, how does this work? Is it was like, like uh, we just uh, like uh, like a, a normal presentation or more like uh, uh, oh, okay. chatting? So it's kind of a mix. So I will mm -hmm. start by introducing you. Um, to the audience, like where you're working and your PhD. And then uh, if you want to add any information, you know, please do. And then usually we start by, I think Victoria will be here. Mm. Uh, she will usually ask like a couple of interview general questions, if that's okay with you. And then, and then usually it's like time for your research, um, the presentation, and then uh, like a discussion, you know, with questions. And then the audience can also in the meantime, either raise their hand or pose questions in the chat room. Uh, and I would read them out to you. Um, so I'll monitor and Victoria will be monitoring that for you. Oh, sounds great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah sure. Well, thank you for coming and making oh. the comment and everything. It's just oh, really nice. Thank you for your interest in our work. <laughs> yeah. oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I'll hope you'll enjoy it. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and now you are uh, so you are uh, organizing this uh, every every week or like uh, is it like a weekly base because you are you are uh, organizing this uh, this uh, like a, what's that called a uh, uh, popular science or. Uh, yeah, so um, it depends on the week. So this week we have, I think, three rooms um, throughout the week. And then um, by the end, like during the holidays, we won't, season, we won't have any rooms. And then it's about two um, or so rooms a week, like about two or so a week. It, it depends. I'll, I have been doing it a lot. Um, this year but next year maybe i'll do it once or twice a week i have to figure out the schedule <laughs> it was very <laughs> a lot of work this year yeah so. i can imagine <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. we had sometimes like every day a room because uh 
way more speakers said yes than I thought. So, but it has been really interesting. I think I learned so much this year in like yeah. all kinds of science uh, fields that you know are not mine at all that i think i've never learned so much before so <laughs> that aspect was good <laughs> and, and what you are uh, what are you focusing on uh, what's your uh, research focus so uh, i've been doing more um research for my own company and then mm -hmm. consulting than academia so it's a lot with mental health related um issues and then um, for consulting in general it's like figuring out what the the next research step should be um, and writing like um, you know like proposal what what should be done next and where so yeah but it's been interesting I've been before I always did academia research it was kind of a new thing that I started doing it's also interesting I, I always yeah. like switching and then yeah. you realize what you like what you don't like about the different yeah. ways yeah that's yeah. true yeah. yeah and and now you have the chance to now because you, you're doing all this uh interview and stuff and then you you broaden your your inches as well and then you yeah yeah it helped me for example I did some work um, for a stem cell company. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I actually had before a few, uh, some guest speakers that did related research. Yeah, it was helpful also. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that I was, you know, reading up for preparing the room. <laughs> so. <laughs> I had to study to prepare for the interview, and so I learned a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, welcome everyone. I will start in a couple of minutes. Feel free to share the room. I'm doing that actually now. Um, if you think friends or people that you know would find this interesting, and um, yeah. The the presentation is pinned on top of the room, so it should be free for everyone to access. And hi, Victoria. How are you? Hello. Hello, Katarina. Hello, Bitao. Is that how we pronounce your name? Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Hello, Victoria. Hi. Thank you so much for coming. This is really exciting. I already said that you will ask like a few interview questions before we start so <laughs> and you're fine with that oh yeah <laughs> sounds like thank you i'm um ants are very special to me too <laughs> i was an only child for uh until i was about 11. i guess i guess many people are their whole lives so it's inconsequential that part but i feel like i was on my own a lot and I spent a lot of time observing ants because they were everywhere they were accessible you know it's like our own wild kingdom and they were easy to observe and so so fascinating that's great yeah 
Hmm? Because I mean, that, that's great. Because I think last time we our our what's it called um our research inches is come from observation from our daily life, right? So if you are interested in seeing the end, and then you 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 then you just uh, curious about them as well. Yeah, that's that's also very significant because um, in terms of education. I, and education is also so important too, um, that I think that because of the regimentation in school, you know, how we're told what to look at and what to think and then judged on it, I feel that that doesn't help um, strengthen our, our innate observation powers, you know, or even patience for observation. So, yeah, I, that's that um, I have to agree with you and glad to hear you. Um, yeah, just solidify that that idea that I have that observation is 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 just critical for um, good science. Yeah, so um, Eric already posted the question, so let's start. <laughs> let's get into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, welcome everyone to Science Society, and of course, a special welcome to you, Vita. And um, yeah, uh, to introduce you shortly, um, he's a researcher at uh, the University of Copenhagen in Denmark and um, at the Center for Social Evolution, Section for Ecology and Evolution in the Department of Biology. Um, and uh, he also did his PhD in 2019 there uh, and the title um, of his dissertation was the genetic regulatory network mediating cast differentiation in ants a transcriptomic view and um, he um, research interests includes genetic mechanism in the vision of labor evolutionary systems biology and evolutionary developmental biology and social insects. And um, he uh, was in the lab of Jacobus Boomsma and Buyogi Tseng, I hope I said that right. And uh, he, he worked there as a bioinformatics engineer in BGI. Um, and um, he is proficient and he has a lot of bioinformatics skills um, and um, statistics and he works in the he intersects these different fields including um, molecular biology which i think is a really interesting approach um, so uh, welcome Mitang. we are very pleased that you're here Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm just a little update about my uh, current position because I actually I I uh, I was doing a postdoc in uh, at the University of Copenhagen uh, earlier this year uh, until until June. So I now have actually I moved to Germany. <laughs> so now I'm now ah, in the uh, yeah 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 uh, Germany yeah uh, yeah yeah in Freiburg. It's uh, in the southern part of Germany. It's a most yeah. sunny city. Yeah, but it's still quite it's... cold here now. <laughs> Oh, that's so beautiful. I grew up in Germany, so. Oh, you grew up? Oh, great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, but city? it's a beautiful part of Germany. It's oh, yeah, okay. nice. Yeah. Well, it's then beautiful. you probably have a better German than I do. Uh, 
I don't know. If I would have learned it at the age you learned it, for sure my German would be worse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's say that. I learned it as a little kid, so it's different. It's more intuitive learning. So, But um, I'll hand the microphone over to Victoria for our interview. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katarina, and thank you again, Bital, for coming and spending some time with us. Science Society is so grateful that you're here. And uh, yeah, Freiburg is beautiful. I've been there as well and spent some time there, and it's lucky that, that that's where you can, you can spend your time. It's got this great food, too, and good hiking. Oh, so hope you, <laughs> hope you get out of it. They make it so accessible. Okay, back to, back to our topic. <laughs> um, so, ants, super excited about this. What, what I would like to know, in, in addition to the research that you'll share with us, is if you can recall what your, what your initial fascination was with science itself. Maybe it was ants, as it, for me, it actually was, I can say. Um, but maybe you can think back in your life when you felt connected to science and um, you know, just really fascinated and you noticed yeah. that there was something special around here. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I mean, when I was a kid, I always, I always interested in science, but I mean, I, in the beginning, I think I'm, I'm more uh, interested in physics because I think there's, there's a, this route, you can go from one to the other and then you can just do this kind of industrial stuff. But then uh, later I, I got more interested in biology and then I feel like there's a much more it's much more fascinating and also also I think my interest in science is also because I I have this kind of a philosophy that I, I think by by understanding more about science or more about our uh, surrounding our the nature world we will have a better understanding of life itself I mean not not just about not just about uh, nature more about the meaning of life that's that's I think that's the my my uh, early motivation to learn science, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So what what have you learned about the meaning of life from <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I think, I think it's quite interesting because uh, um, at least, um, yeah, because I mean, you know, there's a lot, lot of kind of philosophical question, right? So for example, whether we have a free will and, and also, also what, what is uh, individuality and also why why uh why why there's a cooperation and competition in in human society all these things i mean you can con connect it to science and uh, have an explanation to it and i think one thing that i i, I learned most uh, during my my uh my work in 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 social insects because in the beginning my 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 motivation to learn more about social insects is, is not, actually not come from uh, observation like you because I know there are some people who are really the really the uh, nature observers. They they go to nature, they see ants, all fascinating. But for me, I think my my uh, early motivation to learn more about uh, the social insect is more about my my curiosity about human society. So I I was in the beginning I thought okay maybe by by learning more about the social insect I can learn more about human society. But then now I, I think one big lesson I learned is that uh, social insects are not the same as a human society. <laughs> so, yeah. I was just, yeah, um, or maybe we don't know yet. 
maybe we are. You know, and, and you mentioned um, being interested in, in biochemistry in that aspect, and maybe when we know more about our biochemistry and how that functions and influences our behavior and choices, maybe we'll feel like we're just an ant colony as well. <laughs> because I was, I was um, looking at uh, Deborah Gordon's work, and she studies ant colonies and the behavior. And she had mentioned that there were some, um, she was doing work with the hydro, hy she was examining how uh, she was, her question was, can they change tasks within a colony? And, mm -hmm. and she found that they did change tasks regularly and, and was observing that, that it was the hydrocarbon coating on the you know the their exoskeleton that they were communicating about which tasks to perform and what was needed and so i'm you know i'm thinking about us about humans and pheromones and who knows you know what we're responding to but i can't say that huh. yeah i don't know if ants seem like they love yeah. each other <laughs> so yeah um so yeah, so it would be great to now step out of your way and hear more about your work and your findings. And so I, I'll pass the mic to you and just let you know, Katarina and I are here to moderate questions. Sometimes people will put questions in the room chat and we can share those with you. And um, later we could bring people on stage and they may ask you questions as well if you're interested in having a Q&A. So, Again, thank you for being here, and I look forward to hearing what else you share. Oh, thank you, and thank you for the introduction. So, um, um, so I think uh, today, I my the the topic is about uh toward the mental biologies of superorganisms. So, as I mentioned in the beginning, that I one one big lesson I learned is that the uh, the um the anchorly is not just a society; it's more like an organism. And then I think uh, um during this uh conversation or discussion, I think I can uh, convince you more about this. <laughs> so I think uh, the one, uh, because as, uh, as uh, Victoria mentioned that you, you have uh, this uh, observation about ants, and, and if we go to nature, we often see this, uh, there's a huge uh, division for labor um, within the ant colony. And then we can, we sometimes we can see that there's a lot of individuality of the colony. What I mean is that there's a part whole relationship in the colony because you can see that there's a morphological division of labor. You see the soldiers and, and, the, and the queen and the workers. And then even within the, uh, among the workers, there are different uh, morphology among them. And then you, you can see that the, uh, the, morph the morphology of these uh, different, uh, different castes are specialized for their task. And, and I can tell you that uh, in, in ants currently, there's a lot of division of labor there. There's, uh, it, there's some... Uh, some uh, individuals go uh, go to do this hygiene behavior, and some will go out to do foraging, and some will uh, stay inside the nest to do this kind of nursing behavior. So, so then you, so you can understand why I say there's a individuality of the colony because you can see that the the end colony, the each each uh each each workers and each individual with let's say the individual within the end colony just like a like a single each like a each cell within our body. And of course, uh, people have been comparing uh, the ant colony to a society. But however, if we look at the, uh, the life, life cycle of an ant colony, we can see that the ant colony is actually more like an animal compared to a society because there's a Weismann barrier there. 
Because in the beginning, if you look at the, uh, the life cycle of Anconi, in the beginning, there's a founding queen. Uh, she has just got, uh, finished her mating flight and she got uh, inseminated, and then she will go go down to a dig, go down to on the earth and dig dig a hole and go inside and begin begin the uh, begin the colony. And in the beginning, she will only produce the uh, the workers, which are just like uh, the soma itself. And once the colony go uh, be, become bigger, the uh, the the founding queen she will produce the uh, the future queens and males. And the future queens and males they will. They they would uh they would fly out seasonally and and then establish new colony. So this this life cycle for an ant colony is actually similar to the life cycle of uh, an animal because you, you can imagine that uh, in the beginning the the eggs and and sperm they uh, meet each other become an embryo and then the embryo they will uh, will develop and differentiate it into different so much so much cells and the embryo in the end will pass on the genetic information. Through the uh, through the gamete, the germ cell to next generation, so you can see there's a this the uh, the life cycle also of the ant colony are actually similar to life cycle and of an animal. And and William Wheeler uh, is one of the most famous uh, 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 one one of the most famous uh, uh ecology in 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 the uh, early twentieth century. He actually uh, realized this long ago, and he he I I just quote his word. He said, between the ant colony and the cell colony, which constitute the body of a metatron animal, and many of the laws that control the cellular origins, development, growth, and reproduction, and decay of the individual metatron, are seen to hold good also of the ant society, regarded as an individual of a higher level, of a high order. So what he what he means is that the uh, the ant colony and uh, an animal body is actually can be analogous to each other, and there must be some some uh, shared rules of the between these two levels. So, uh, this idea is is uh has later been been uh, uh extended by the uh Julian Huxley in his uh, individual body in the animal kingdom, and later in the uh in the John Maynard Smith and Eros Smith in the major transitions in evolution, and recently uh, uh Bunsma, uh, my my supervisor. He he uh, go back to the history and and he he reveal the uh, the the concept evolution of this uh, major transition and he proposed that there's a multiple domains of a, a social evolution that go from a prokaryote to eukaryote and then to the multicellular organism and then to superorganism. So that means that the transition between multicellular organism to the uh, superorganism is actually similar to the transition between a unicellular organism to to multicellular organism so in in our in our lab we are focusing on the uh, focusing on the concept of a superorganism that means uh, we 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 conceptualize the uh, the ant colony as a superorganism and we try to ask the question about okay if the ant colony is a if ant colony is a superorganism what we will predict from it based on the based on the comparison to the multicellular organism for example, uh, we know that in the beginning, I told you that there's uh, this kind of germ soma, germ soma duality in the in the ant colony. There's a queen and worker, which is similar to the germ and soma, and then and then as a Wheeler mentioned that there must be some uh, of evolution and developmental similarity between the ant colony and an animal. So that's what we uh, what we uh, have been doing, and uh, 
one of the two words that we uh, we have published in the past few years. One is that we uh, we show that by by uh, by by using the transcriptome, I mean the the gene expression level of the different cast, the worker and the queen cast uh, of different uh, N species, and then if we we try to look at the uh, the similarity of the the transcriptome uh, across these species. We can see that there's actually a similarity of the pattern between the uh, between the uh, the different cast in, in different uh, ant species and the different organs in mammals. Because because we can we can know that uh, uh, homology is uh, one of the key concept in in evolution. For example, the uh, the four limbs in different different. Uh, in, in the falling in birds and and and, and uh, humans, they are they are homologous to each other. So so uh, we know that there's a genetic recognition network underlying this uh, homologous structure there. And similarly, in in ant society, we have this kind of a queen and worker, these two different castes. So these two different castes are homologous uh, across different uh, ant species. So we have proved this one. And then uh, a second word that we we have done is that we we put we show that the uh, the life the the uh, the insemination of a virgin queen that is uh, once the queen have been inseminated the transition between a virgin queen to a uh, to a founding queen is actually similar to the transition between an egg to an embryo. Yeah. So so this is what we have been doing what what we have done before and today I'm going to uh, tell you more about the uh, the similarity. Uh, of the uh, of the cast differentiation process and cell differentiation process in animal, because as I mentioned before, the ankle can be conceptualized uh, as a superorganism. So and then so for each each uh, individual in the ankle you can conceptualize as a as a as a single cell in a in a in an animal, and and therefore then we can. Uh, we can analogous to uh, the cast differentiation process in Ancony as the cell differentiation process, and and Walkington is the one of the uh, uh, the founder of epigenetics uh, epigenetic study. He proposed this uh, epigenetic landscape to describe the uh, cell differentiation process uh, during during embryogenesis process. Embryogenesis process. So our question is, we can can we try to use the epigenetic landscape? To describe the cast differentiation process in ants, so because if we we if we uh, try to describe the uh, cast differentiation process in ants uh, under the epigenetic landscape, we can ask multiple very fascinating questions. For example, whether the uh, whether the uh, the cast differentiation, for example, uh, like uh, like in cell differentiation process, you you can recognize a different cell type in the later stage, but can but actually, the cell differentiations already occur before the morphological difference occurred. So therefore, in, we can ask the same question. For example, uh, like in cast differentiation process in ants, in the later stage, there's a huge difference between the worker and and the future queen. Their morphological quite distinct from each other. However, the the cast differentiation process must has already occurred before the morphological difference between. Between cast occurs, so our question is that can we try to uh, try to uh, try to try to predict the the fate of each individual uh, before the morphological difference emerge? 
so to to address this question, we we uh, have this kind of idea that we 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 use this kind of a single individual transcriptome because nowadays uh, the single cell sequencing is a uh, quite popular with which uh, people people just uh, isolate each each cell within the within the organs and try to sequence each cell to see to see uh, what is the composition of the organs and how how cell differentiation process occur during the organ development. So our idea is that if we can we can do this kind of single individual uh, sequencing. So we we try to try to see each each uh, each individual individual end as a as a single cell. Then we try to follow the developmental trajectory of the, of this uh, of the cast differentiation process. So with this uh, idea, so we uh, we first uh, develop a uh, develop uh, uh, an algorithm. Uh, we call them the backward progressive algorithm, which is a uh, which is used to to predict the uh, the cast fate of uh, each individual before their morphological difference emerge. So this algorithm is uh, based on the idea that, um, based on the ideas that the, um, there is a, always a direction of the of the rental process because there's always a the arrow of time. That means that the times always go from from past to to present and then to future. So we have this idea that we can. Actually, use this process to to predict the cast differentiation and predict the uh, predict the uh, the the cast fate of each individual. So with this algorithm, we are uh, successfully to we successfully uh, identify some uh, some markers for uh, for early cast early uh, cast identity. For example, there's uh, two genes we identify. One is uh, called V. Uh, Three nine eight seven and the other is a MYD three. We found that these two genes are, are specifically uh, expressed in the in the germline of the future queen because you because uh, you know that uh, in the in the answer uh, in some of the ant species the the workers are completely sterile and then only the only the uh, queen they are have the have the germ germ cells and we found that the 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 gene marker that we that we, uh, that we identify are specifically expressed in the in the germ cells and and only in individual have uh, so this so this individual must be the future queen so now we have uh, identified the uh, the uh, we have identified uh, we can predict the uh, the cast fate of each individual in the early stage just like we we are able to predict the uh, the the uh, the cell fate of each cell so our last question is that uh, is it is the cast differentiation process canalized? For example, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, this epigenetic landscape that that means in 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 Washington, in, he he proposed that the uh, during embry embryogenesis process, uh, each organ each organ they are uh, gradually canalized into this distinct uh, distinct morphology. For example, uh, you, you can ask the question. Okay, for example, if you look at your your arm and your and your and your heart, you can see there's a there's no similarity between your arm and between your arm and your and your and your heart because these two are different distinct organs. There's no there's, so you you so you can see that the uh, during the organ organ genesis process, each organ are gradually uh, developed into this kind of distinct shape, which is a uh, for the function of the whole individual, so our question is: Is the cast differentiation process similar to the uh, similar to the uh, cell differentiation process in in animal that uh, each individual are gradually uh, develop into this kind of distinct distinct phenotype? 
So we, with this idea in mind, we may use our, our uh, single individual sequencing, and then we uh, calculate the developmental potential score, which are used to, uh, to quantify how well each uh, individual are developed into this distinct phenotype. And we can clearly see that during the cost differentiation process, the, uh, the worker and, and queen, and the worker and the future queen, they are gradually uh, diverse in their in their uh, in their transcriptome, and then they are come, and then uh, for for workers within the say for individual within the say cast, let's say all the workers, they are gradually converge into a into a point, into a distinct uh, uh, transcriptome space. So that means that that means that uh, during the customization process, each individual they are uh, develop they are gradually uh, develop into their this kind of a, this uh, this uh, distinct, let's say, destination for their, for their phenotype. And we, we further compare, compare the, uh, the, uh, the within class variation and the, we further compare the within species variation and the between species variation. Let's say that the within, within species variation, you, we can use it to, to quantify how well uh, the, uh, each class are being canalized. For example, if uh, if in the end all the all the workers are developed into the same uh, phenotype, you expect there's a very little variation among them. I hope this makes sense. And then and then by uh, by calculating the within species variation, we can compare the variation in uh, variation difference in different castes. For example, we can ask the question like, is the variation in the workers are higher than the queens or, or the other way around. And we found that the variation in the, in the queen, the future germline are actually much lower compared to, to the workers. So that means that during the cast differentiation process, the, uh, the queen cast, they're much, they're they are actually a much more, more canalized. They have a much more distinct phenotype compared to the worker. And similarly, we can compare the between species uh, variation because previously I'm talking about the uh, within species variation, which uh, we compare the uh, each, which we compare uh, the, the individual within the same class within the same species. But we can also compare compare the worker uh, between different species. And surprisingly, we found that similar to what we observe in the uh, developmental process, the, uh, in the the variation in the worker class between uh, in different species are actually also higher than the variation uh, between the queen in different species. So that means that even in the evolution, uh, even in the uh, during the evolution, the uh, the the uh, the germline, the cony germline, the queen are also more environmentally uh, conserved compared to the workers. So this is very uh, interesting. So we, we, we then let's ask the question. So what, what is the function of uh, genes that are highly canalized? That means if, because we can see this overall pattern seeing that, okay, uh, each, each cast are actually, uh, cast are, the cast phenotype are actually gradually uh, canalized into this distinct phenotype. And our question, last question is, okay, what, what are the function of the genes underlying this? And, and what, what genes are regulating the, uh, the canalization process in uh, cast differentiation. 
And we found that the uh, the Zhonglai hormone, because we when we look at the uh, look at the uh, the gene expression profile uh, during the during the uh, the prepupal stage, which is the stage uh, for the uh, metamorphosis. It, um, so metamorphosis means that they transition from the larva and then to the pupa. And we can see that uh, genes associated with Zhonglai hormone are actually highly differential expressed. So we further do this kind of manipulation process. We, we, fit, the, we fit the workers with Zhonglai hormone, and then we also fit the, uh, the future queen with a, a, a precocing one, which is a Zhonglai hormone inhibitor. And we see that once we fit the worker with Zhonglai hormone, the worker, they are becoming much larger, and then they, they actually can see this kind of a small wing butt in the workers. And if we, we fit the, uh, the future queen with Zhonglai hormone inhibitor, the, the future queen, they're actually becoming smaller, and they develop into this kind of uh, in, intercast phenotype. That means that the, uh, because previously I mentioned that if you look at the muscle and, and the, for example, if you look at the, uh, let's say the muscle cell and the neuron cell, okay, the, this two cell type must be quite distinct. However, let's say that uh, if you add some uh, chemical there, and then you can make uh, like a like a say uh, a mosaic, uh, a intermediate phenotype between the muscle cell and the neural cell. So and actually we, we are so similar here. So once we fit the use the general hormone, we can have this kind of uh, intercast. That is an intermediate cast between the, the worker and and queen, and future queen. So that means that the general hormone actually are regulating the, the canalization process in ants. And then we, the next question is okay. So, uh, so uh, differentiation process is canalized. So, what are the what are the function? What are the what is the function of these genes? So, we look at uh, what genes are being canalized, and we found that in the uh, in the in the queen, genes associated with the gonad and wing muscle are highly canalized, whereas in the workers, genes associated with the uh, with the brain are highly canalized. So, this actually makes sense because if you look if you think about the function of uh, this different cast, the workers, they are, they are performing different uh, maintenance of a colony, for example, a foraging, nurturing the, uh, the, the boot in, within, the, within the colony. So this, which require a lot of, lot of uh, uh, which uh, has shows importance of their neuron functions. And whereas for the queen, or let's say the future queen, she will, as I mentioned in the beginning, she will uh, fly out to, to, to do the mating and then the, uh, the, the gonad or the ovary of the queen are actually a determinant factor for the success of the, uh, of the future colony. So that's, that's why I say it makes sense you see that the, uh, the wing muscle and the, and the ovary related genes are highly canalized in the, in the, uh, in the queen. So that also, actually also means that the canalized gene expression level is an adaptation and, but this adaptation is not only for the not only for the purpose of each individual, but for the purpose of the whole colony. Just you think about if you uh, think about the, the muscles, muscle cells and neuron cells, this this different cell type are highly canalized. But the but the canalized but the canalized phenotype is actually for the purpose of the whole individual, let's say our our whole body. For our whole body to maintenance and then to to pass on our gene to next generation, so so we observe similar things here. The canalized gene expression level in in uh, in the ants they actually also highly canalized, 
but the canalization is for the adaptation of the whole colony. And, and, and we further, we try to look at, because uh, here, here I show you these genes that they are, that we, that, that we have their function based on Drosophila. But we also want to know, okay, what if there's a, uh, we also try to look at the, the first genes, the, the top genes that are showing highly canalized expression pattern. We try to ask, okay, what is the function of this uh, highly canalized gene? Because uh, this gene, when we, when we found, the, when, when we found it, the, there's no functional annotation there. And then we, we tried, we uh, do this uh, institute hybridization, which we use uh, like a, like a, a layer marker, like a, like a, uh, like a fluorescence, fluorescent way to look at where this gene is, is being expressed. And we found that this highly canalized gene is actually expressed in the follicle cells of the ovary. So, so that means that this, uh, this uh, hymenoptera, uh, I forgot to mention, this, uh, this gene is a, is a hymenoptera specific. That means that this gene only, you can only find, you can only find it in the, uh, in the walls, bees and ants, but not outside. And we found that these hymenoptera-specific uh, specific genes are, high, are highly canalized and expressed in the uh, in the follicle cells. So this is actually uh, consistent with uh, what we what we what we found previously. We we, we saw that uh, we saw that highly genes associated with ovary function are highly canalized. So we can see that this uh, this this novel this uh, specific genes are also associated with the ovary. With, uh, with the reproduction, but what is more surprising is that once we do the uh, only, uh, let's say a uh, uh, lockdown, that means that we try to use the uh, use a molecular method to to make this gene has a lower expression level, and once we try to lower uh, the expression level of this gene in the in the queen, for one thing we we uh, we, we found that okay uh, once we lock uh, once we lower the expression of this gene. The queen become less fecund. That means that the, the ovary becoming uh, becomes smaller. And but what is more interesting is that not only the uh, ovary becoming smaller, the the body size of the future queen and the and the wings are also becoming smaller. So that means that once we once we look, uh, lower expression of these genes, which is uh, only expressed in the uh, in the ovary, we also influence. Uh, their uh, phenotype of the whole body. So that means that this, these genes are actually have a different uh, multiple function and maybe constrain, uh, constraining the, uh, the, the evolution process of cast phenotype. So, so for that, I would like to uh, conclude because in the beginning, I would like to say that, okay, I would try to, try to, I hope I can, uh, Oh, I can let's say uh, convince you more that the ant colony is more like a more like a, a organism instead of a society because we can see that there's a because we already see that there's a gem soma differentiation in the in the ant colony that's the that's the future queen and the worker and this gem soma differentiation process is actually occur in the early developmental stage and compared to the colony soma the colony gem light is much more canalized and evolutionary conserved. And finally, we can see that the canalized gene expression level in the end colony are actually adaptive at the level of the colony. And, and we also see that the uh, canalized gene expression might influence the, uh, the evolution of a cast phenotype. Yeah, so um, I think that's all.
and I would like to uh, thank my supervisors and all our funding yeah, yeah, and our collaborators yeah, because it requires a lot of work, uh, particularly the uh, molecular uh, validation. Well, thank you so much for presenting <clears throat> so well um, this, all this work and quite complicated work in a way that, um, that we can all understand. This was a wonderful presentation and also so interesting the work you did, um, how you show um, how this uh, bigger organism uh, organizes itself. That's uh, that's really interesting. Do you, or did you analyze also uh, environmental factors, how they then, ch can they change like the ratio or, um, you know, can does this canalization get affected by environmental factors? Because you said it's quite conserved, so. Yeah, that, that's true. No, we, we haven't because uh, we, because uh, mm, we are just uh, try to do that uh, in a control control way, right? Because once you have a in, uh, environmental factor, then maybe you you'll be less uh, canalized. Yeah, that's something that we haven't done. And also, I mean, canalization is a, like a like a what's it called? How to say that? It's like a phenomenon. And of course, uh, how how canalization, how canalized phenotypes being regulated is another question. Yeah, as you mentioned, environmental factor may also play a role. But this environment then, then, then depends on how you define environment, whether the, uh, it's like a chronic environment or like a, like a abiotic environment. Yeah, and also what I think would be really interesting, I read um, at some point, because it was a project, I'm repeating myself for people that went to the last rooms, uh, that I wanted to do with my kids one day was um, to see if like a caterpillar memory gets passed on to the butterfly. So would be also interesting here. How do you think that from the previous colony, let's say, uh, I don't know, traumatic events such like a parasitic big animal coming and eat up half the colony, like do you think they get passed on um, throughout this process, like colony memories like this? Since, you know, if you see one colony as an organism, we see in, in mammals and so on that like traumatic events or some significant memories can get passed on to the next generation. What do you think would happen? Oh, that's a that's a really fascinating question. I mean, yeah, I mean, and actually, we we have some people. Uh, we uh, some one of my colleagues. She's actually doing this. Yeah. So, yeah, because I mean, uh, so for example, like uh, how, how uh, so this is more like uh, uh whether whether uh epigenetic can uh can inherit to to last generation, right? So, for example, for example, uh, uh in this colony, maybe the uh, uh there's some uh, some starving, and then the queen. There's some uh, influence on the queen, and whether this influence will 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 uh will impact uh the the future queen she produces, and then this future queen will will also have a have a poor or better better uh better cloning. So I think I mean I I think this could happen, and but then it depends on on 
because it's two two way, right? One is that one is that of course there's there's no argument that once you because once you have the poor nutrition of the of the current queen, of course she will produce a offspring that will have an impact. Because for example, uh, may, maybe will impact the nutrition level of her offspring, and then her offspring may may will produce a a, a poor or better colony. I don't know, but but we can definitely say that there must be some effect there. But then there's also a question about whether whether this process is is uh let's say whether it has been mass frequent enough during the evolutionary process so that the uh this inheritance will become adaptive or not um yeah i think this is a very is a very interesting question and must must deserve uh, more research yeah yeah May thank I? you go ahead victoria yeah i didn't i don't want to cut you off from your next question just to ask another one of this if that's okay no no yeah i just wanted to thanks and pass on to you thank you victor <laughs> okay yeah thank you Vital. um so i see that what you're saying is that maybe any phenotypic response that we see to a stress it could be for example, as you're saying, there wasn't enough food, and so that was expressed, lack of nutrition, and we can see that in different ways. And I'm thinking maybe, Katarina, what you were wondering, maybe, is if it's communicated somehow to offspring, and I'm thinking, you were saying environmental stresses, so I'm thinking, you know, if there's habitat damage over generations, if because they're communicating, that's what they, you know, that's what we say they're social. If there's some something that they're communicating to future offspring, but how would we differentiate a response from deliberate communication? What, what do you mean by uh, deliberate com communication? You mean, uh, you mean communication from the um, from the worker to the future queen or yes yeah that's yeah that's a that's a difficult question I mean yeah I, I don't know I mean yeah yeah because I, I haven't thought about uh, how to decide an experiment to 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 test this so yeah so I think one thing related would be that the ants use for example different like from the dirt different things uh, to collect and transport liquid food to the nest right they some ants they they build for example their underground tunnels in a specific yeah. way and maybe they would have to change their approach based on long-term environmental changes so maybe that moment i think victoria would maybe think of that moment when they change their method if that gets teached or if it's something that gets like in you know expressed by by epigenetic changes or both maybe Exactly. You it really you really made me think <laughs> when you when you you know when you brought that back to the to the the response the phenotypic response that what is it that we that we can deduce from what we see 
and how important it is to make sure that our question that we come to with our questions with an open mind ready to receive the truth of what's before us yeah i don't know like what type of do you have like a regulated i would imagine humidity and type of dirt you use for the experiments maybe if you switch the dirt and more water yeah. they would have to build their tunnels differently but maybe they just have the spectrum of behaviors already in their DNA or maybe it's something yeah. they need to figure out and then pass yeah, on. But, but then also, I will also, also ask the question about how, how, how frequent uh, for them to, to, to meet this situation because, because I, I really appreciate the question because the, the question is more like uh, the, for example, if there's something happening in the, in the end colony, will, will the worker respond uh, adaptively to, to change the next generation? But then the, the question is that, uh, do, is it occur frequently for, for nature selection to select this response or? Because, because in the end, yeah. this must be adaptive, right? You, you are, what you're yeah. trying to propose. Yeah, I think with the, you know, with the current climate change. Yeah, but, but the yeah, situations change not, are changing. It's recent. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we can yeah. predict will ants make it in those regions or will they all just die? Maybe you could predict with the work in the lab if if they are adaptive. Maybe in the lab we could train a bunch of ants <laughs> and then send them out to teach the others. <laughs> Probably not, but would be interesting predictive. Uh, yeah, because I, I mean, because this this uh, epigenetic inheritance uh, can can happen, but but sometimes only in in species of um, with this environmental change frequent enough, and then they actually have this adaptive response. But then, for for something that they have never met before, then it's uh, quite difficult for it to be adaptive. That's why I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know the ants that when there's a flood that they make together some sort of island and island so the whole um the whole colony and the end can survive you know those videos uh, oh yeah yeah. A, yeah i i feel that makes me kind of optimistic for ants but i don't know yeah it could be yeah could be. well what they really need to communicate is to humans how we can peacefully coexist because really there's a flood it rains they come they might walk along you know the the perimeter of the house and then they're gone when the you know when the rains are done so um but i guess then i'm then I, i'm thinking from what you're saying about the difference between communicating within a generation with um you know with those hydrocarbons that that um that are on their exoskeleton, you know, just things that they can um, sense by whatever it is, their touch or smell, between that communication and epigenetically in between generations. I'm thinking, yeah, I guess of um, sea level rise or in the case of monarchs and, and you know, their food is, isn't as available, how are, Maybe all social insects are coping in similar ways. 
if they are at that. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I don't know. I mean, for example, um, we know that uh, now with the climate change, um, because uh, for example, in in the termites, they have this kind of natural fly, and also in the ants, they also have, and this natural flies actually uh, uh, associate with the uh, the rain season. For example, when they transition between the dry to rain season, and during the transition, they will uh, they fly out because uh, at, because only in the raining season they will have a more probability to to survive their uh, their new new colony. And now we we know that for example in the uh, in the uh, Africa uh, and uh, um, uh, let's say Ivory Coast in Ivory Coast because uh, this uh, climate change so then the rain season is actually becoming much. Sorry, the, the first ray is actually becoming a, a delay or maybe sometimes earlier. And then because these are becoming unpredictable for the for the uh, for the for the termites, so they sometimes uh, they fly out, out of season. So so that's what I mean that um I I think I think this uh this communication and with Binkley and, and this uh, tra transmission to the to the next generation will, will need to be something that uh that historically uh, occur frequent enough for, for them to develop this adaptive response and for something that is uh, occurred recently like the, the flooding and and stuff they it's actually maybe hard, quite harmful for them because they they still need time to 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 get the uh, selection to <laughs> to find the, the solution yeah um yeah this is such an interesting discussion and um the the other thing is to come back to the to the your previous motivation to learn about humans um individuality and social interaction and to to have basically an animal model when you talked i remembered that there were a few philosophers that made like similar comparison that our social structure is um is a is an organism i think the most famous one is herbert spencer from britain but then um there was actually a previous one uh, a philosopher that i already wrote this in 1920 uh, Comte, and um it's it's really interesting to look at this analogy would you say it's just a more complicated layered and longer evolution of an organism our social structure and to understand it i think it's always useful to um go back and to easier um models and, and get understandings from that um so so do you still think we can learn a lot from from those models yeah, I, I think that's actually quite 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 a good question. And then, uh, as I mentioned, that uh, my my supervisor Bunsma, he has recently uh do this review of of the of the development of the concept of uh, organ organism in in social insects. And you can see that she actually he has actually quoting the uh the Weisman and Julian Hushley. That is back to one hundred back to one more than one hundred years ago. And then at that time, they already see the huge difference between the uh, between the human society and the uh, ant colony because an ant colony is actually a family, and a human society is composed of multiple families. So that means that uh, the 
human society is at most an organization, but not an organism. And, and if we are really uh, quoting the early, st early stage, uh, uh, early philosopher, you can also see that some, some philosopher, because I can tell you a, a funny fact is that in, in the early days, uh, people do not know that the, the queen of hungry bees are female. They thought that the queen of hungry bees are actually male. So they think, that, okay, because uh, the hungry bee have this organization with the king and then a lot of the workers. So maybe we should uh, support the monologue. So you see uh, this uh, early understanding is actually not, sometimes they are not, uh, not correct because they, have a, they don't have a good understanding of the biology themselves. Yeah. So what, what do you, does, it, um, does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that makes sense. And um, the interesting part I thought that was that we kind of have that they theorized was we have this very complex um, brain because we created this very complex um, society and we constantly need to adapt to it because with more complex brain, we create more complex society and then our brain has to grow again. I think that was uh, interesting to explain basically why we developed such a complex brain but um yeah i agree there are there are big differences and um and it's oversimplified but um still an interesting play of thought i guess um to play around with yeah i wanted to encourage everyone in the um, audience to uh, post comments, questions. Um, so uh, yeah, please, uh, please do so. Uh, we always welcome people on stage and ask their questions. And um, we, um, because this topic I think is 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 so interesting on so many levels. So I'll just keep asking questions myself if nobody else <laughs> comes up. Um, what I also think uh, was really interesting is the time point of the when basically the superorganism starts to canalize. Is there um, so is the time point always the same, um, or does it vary from? Did you look at different ant species maybe? Or is it always the same for, for all of the different ants? Oh, it's actually quite, uh, quite different across uh, different uh, ant species. Because, uh, for example, uh, here we have uh, two, two ant species. One is the, the feral ant, and the other is the leaf-cutting ant. And for the feral ant, we can, we can see the canalization actually occur very early. And then for the, uh, for the leaf-cutting ant, it occur much later. So, this is actually similar because as I do the comparison uh, of the ant colony to the uh, to the animal, this actually is similar to the uh, to uh, different animal species. For example, like the uh, the Drosophila, where the germ 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 line are already already determined in the in the uh, in the outside stage, whereas uh, in the in the mouse, the germ line actually uh, occur in the later stage, but it's still in the early embryogenesis process. But you can see that just similar to the uh, to the animals which have a which have a different different time point uh, for determining the uh, the germline the canalization process in in different ant species also occurs 
uh, in a different time point. And then I think this will this will also be a very fascinating question. I think uh, about okay, so why there's difference uh, in different ant species? Or let's ask another question: Why there difference in different uh, animals for this kind of uh, gem gem germline determination time point? Is it adaptive, or is it just uh, some uh, some consequence of a, of a, of the uh, of the evolution process? Let's wait. Let's say whether because uh, because the it happened in the ancestral stage, that's why they continue doing this, or or is it because uh, it's uh, adaptive for the for the uh, for adaptive for the for, for it to survive? So yeah, I mean as I'm, so yeah, so yeah, there's difference there. But but why there's difference is uh, is something uh, really really uh, worth to to study. That's really interesting. Um, that that's so different. Yeah, I'm curious to hear. And for these in-between um, ants where you change the hormone exposure and they're kind of in-between the queen and the worker, what's their behavior? Like, did you get to let them become adults and, and check how they behave in a colony? Is that different? Yeah. Yes, I think there's difference there, but I, 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 I didn't didn't follow the behavior observation, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think we we are we actually trying to 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 uh to look at their behavior, and from what we know is that the the uh, the uh, that just uh, some uh from what I remember, I remember that the uh, the worker they become a less go they they don't go out so often. That's what I remember, but. But um, but I think it will really worth a detail and detailed observation to see what what are the what they actually doing in the in the colony once they become this kind of an intercast. Yeah, it would be really interesting. Uh, also, how the other ants would behave and react to it. Maybe they would just kick them out because they are different, or you know, or <laughs> they just. Ha- just adapt or maybe they just adapt to wherever they are exposed to which you know if they're exposed to the workers they'll just behave like the workers maybe but maybe the workers don't yeah. want them oh no, no i mean <laughs> yeah or well, every 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 cell is useful why right? maybe <laughs> well yeah because they're taller like they're bigger right maybe they are very useful <laughs> they will become the popular worker <laughs> It'll be interesting. Well, there's a lot of really interesting um, behavior ahead, uh, like studies ahead to to analyze. I think so. Um, Will be interesting to see what the future brings. So you're still working in this field with with ants in your new position. Um. Uh, actually, I I'm I'm still uh, working on ants, but I'm, I'm my now new focus is actually on termites. Because I think the, there's a lot uh, much more unknown in the in the termites, so that's why I and also I mean as I mentioned, this uh, superorganismality, uh, superorganism has convergently evolved in multiple lineage in in termite, in bees, and in wasps and ants. So I think it'd be interesting to to also look at the termites because termites is actually much, very far, very far away from the ants. So I want to see uh, whether. Where the, uh, what are the similarities there and then what are the differences there? Well, that will be really interesting um, to compare. So uh, I'm really looking forward. Maybe when you have some some results in a year or two, you could come back and, 
and talk with that um that would be interest like talk about that research that you're doing now that would be really interesting and um yeah we wish you all the the best for the future for your future and um for your research and that you get a lot of grants uh, <laughs> and oh i i see that we have two people if you still have maybe a couple of minutes i know we're going on for an hour to answer Kyle's questions and share yours question um welcome to the stage and if you have a question for our guest speaker related to his research please go ahead and ask your question uh i i'm sherry i'm from uh, guadalajara jalisco mexico and uh, my question is i how how you make uh your uh medicines stronger because i make a uh, poppy filled heroin from sinaloa uh we are talking about ant research so if you have a question about that please go ahead if not we'll uh, skip to kyle kyle welcome go ahead um, yeah, I just, uh, I was kind of multitasking there, but um, I, I wanted to take some time to just come up here and say thank you. Um, it's it, the philosophical implications here uh, of your work are quite immense. Um, I, I heard Katerina bring that up. Um, I'm thinking about like Michael Levine um, and, and his work uh, with uh, Xenobots and um, just kind of like organisms and biology and AI and the morphogenetic code um, that, that he calls, coins it. Um, so he'll look at systems like this and instead of just like, you know, um, this gets into a little bit of, um, you know, where does the mind extend to kind of um, sort of thing with Markov blankets, but um, it seems like the ant community is almost um, working as a self, um, such as like other, um, I, I, I guess I should actually look at uh, what the, the term is, super organisms, uh, the next level of biological complexity above that of the organism itself. Um, so I was wondering if you did like, if anything about that came to your mind or maybe altruism, um, I, I remember that uh that i heard a great question that was asked by joyce about uh humanity and um working together um so the the kind of idea of altruism came to my mind so i was just wondering if anything came to your mind about like um not looking at uh the community i guess or the ant colony as just one uh group of ants piled together but also looking at the colony almost um as one kind of entity and then also just kind of about altruism well thank you for the question i mean i think yeah that's exactly i mean um because as i mentioned the the ankle is like a super organism so that's what, what it means that the, we see the ankle as an entity and and when, when you talk when we talk about altruism and we can actually see there's a lot of altruism there because as, as I mentioned, the, the workers, they are just like the Kony Soma. And when I say Soma, that means that this, this worker, they have no future reproductive potential. 
So you see all their life is being altruist because they are all their life is functioning for the uh, for the for the whole colony. And and so that's what I meant that uh, there's a huge difference between the uh or uh, let's, let's that's what I meant that uh, what why we say that the ankle is like a like a uh, like an animal because you can see that in an animal you have this each cell uh, the soma the somatic cell like a muscle cell neuron cell they they actually cannot pass on their uh, genetic information to next generation they can only pass on the genetic information through the germline and so in this sense you can see that uh, each each cell in our uh, all the somatic cells in our body they're actually all being altruist yeah so this is a that's that's what I what I uh, what I think about the the ankle. Yeah. Amazing, I love that, and and I love that like last little part. This is the way I think about it, and um, I guess that's why I mentioned that the philosophical implications of your work is actually quite immense, and um, it it would be amazing if you um, decided to come back and and share some more because uh, hopefully that day I'll I'll be so distracted and I'd be able to. Um, ask some better prepared questions. Oh, thank you. I'm fast your interest. Yeah. Oh, one question related to that would then be, what if you put different ant colonies together in one space? What happens? Do they like kill each other? Do they kind of the, the bigger queen and workers win or they just work then all together? Like has I guess that experiment has been done at some point. Yeah, I mean, um, I, we we actually we uh, when when I was a PhD student in in the lab, I actually did this a lot. I tried to I tried to move a move a worker from one colony to the, to the other colony to see what happened, and then you can see they usually being just uh killed. <laughs> yeah, so they are, they are just like a really because for example, you can see that uh, um you think about the transplant. If we try to transplant the organ from from one one uh, individual to another individual, you got this immune response because that because uh the two different individuals they usually cannot uh cannot uh upset the organ transplant. And similarly, when we when I try to transplant transplant the individual worker from one colony to another one, this individual will actually have this uh, will be will be what's that uh, uh kicked out. Yeah, but of course, this uh, depends on species. In in some species, uh, in some species, uh, uh, this uh, merging, let's say, uh, two different colonies, they can actually fuse together. And about the frequency, uh, that's something that I cannot say for certain. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I think this that's something not happen uh, very frequently. But but uh, for some species like the, uh, like the uh, Molomorian and also some Argentine ant, they they sometimes uh they sometimes can fuse together. So this uh, depends on species, I think. Yeah. Ah, interesting. You know, it's it's very it's different, but it kind of reminds me. There's one parasite of bees that is quite common here in the U.S. And um, the Asian bees recognize the parasite and kills them. Like so, the immune system is able to recognize and and kill it by temperature and vibration. I think. Uh, but the the bees in Europe and the US they are not able to even recognize it. That then that's why they die much more, and and the this parasite keeps um, 
keeps killing the colony so much. So maybe in those different species, um, they overlap so much that they don't recognize them as foreign. Um, and it would be interesting to see what would be necessary to, you know, what's their immune system? <laughs> like what's their antibodies or so? Uh, what do they recognize as, as different? Um, it's really interesting. Um, perfect. So again, thank you so much for uh, coming. Uh, this is really so interesting. This was a real treat. And yeah, uh, we wish you all the best for your future and your research. And hopefully one day you'll come back and update us on your current uh, work that you're doing. So thank you. And uh, we are looking forward to the future. <laughs> Well, thank you. The pressure is mine. I mean, I, I really, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to. I really happy about your interest in our work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And um, also in the comments, people are um, being very appreciative. So yeah, thank you, everyone. And if you like discussions like this, uh, follow the club. We will have um, another room. Uh, with Dr. Ando, uh, who will show how life adapted to oxygen. And then we'll have one more room with um, Dr. Xi, who will talk about a new way of uh, discovering uh, personalized drugs based on omics data integration, which will also be uh, really interesting. So I hope I hear you all back. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day, morning, evening. And thank you so much, Vitam. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, good luck for everything. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, yeah goodbye. Have a good evening. Or, or, or good afternoon. I don't know. <laughs> <The time>. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is in different time zones. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye, yeah, everyone. Yeah, thank goodbye. you. Yeah.